Welcome everyone into another preseason aftershock. This we already are setting a record for ourselves, and the Quakes are also setting records. Alex Morgan, Colin and I are happy to have you both here on the show. Hopefully, your off season is going well. Uh, why don't we start this off? I mean, the the big news, of course, is 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 what's going on with the big signing, Carlos Grezzo, out of Augsburg, a, a signing out of the German Bundesliga, but no stranger to Lucci. No stranger to MLS. $3 million is the number that I think everyone who I trust is agreeing on in terms of the transfer fee. That's roughly, I believe, double, Colin. And maybe you'll talk about that in terms of the uh, the previous uh, previous one. And, uh, you know, how are you guys feeling about that signing? And, you know, maybe just very quickly, like how the pieces are starting to come together at this point so far in preseason. Alex, why don't we start with you? Well, I think it's an exciting time to be an Earthquakes fan because there's a lot going on. It's only February 5th, but they've already played three preseason games. Uh, last night uh, in Monterey uh, Bay, they uh, won 2-1 against Monterey Bay uh, FC. Uh, and I know a lot of you uh, were all there to watch that game. So uh, we would love to hear your takeaways and reactions from that one. We'll definitely talk about it later in the show. And I think since we last talked, two new shine- signings with Grezzo and Daniel. Uh, and look, this is a new club record signing. Uh, and he is going to be a pivotal part of uh, the, the way the earthquakes play this season. Uh, you know, it's clear that uh, this transfer window, they're focusing on solidifying the defense with a goalkeeper and a defensive midfielder. Uh, if the quakes are going to make the playoffs, that's, that's how they have to do it. Cause last season they were defensively one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, and and Guerrezo uh, fits the bill. He has World Cup experience, Ecuador in 2014 World Cup. He's played under Luchi Gonzalez before. He's coming from a top five league. He has everything he needs on his resume. Uh, and it's nice to see that the Earthquakes are finally getting this transfer business done early in the winter. Uh, and there might even be more to come uh, later in this window. So I, I, I think a lot of exciting developments uh, in the last few weeks, Jamin. Colin Etnar, we've been talking DP6 on this show for a while. Is this the right DP6? Is this the right amount for a player like a Carlos Garozzo? You're the you're the guy with the dollars, keeping track of, of how these numbers are adding up. What's your thoughts? Uh, both are very good questions. The, the question you didn't ask, that because I, I think it's just uncontroversial at this point, because we've been saying it from the very beginning of the offseason is, you know, what what positions to emphasize with that third designated player spot or, you know, whatever mechanism they were going to use to spend a lot of money. Everyone agrees. And if, and you talk to the front office, they said right at the beginning of the window, they agreed that's the spot. Defensive midfielder, something to kind of hold the midfield together in a manner that similar to the one that Judson did in 2019. Or, you know, for the old Quakes fans, you can roll back the clock. Uh, you know, it could be Fatih Lashley 2015. It could be Sam Cronin before that. Uh, you know, it could go Mulroney if we're talking way back in the day. Um, you know, th- there's having somebody at the base of the midfield who can really be an enforcer and organize everything in front of them uh, shields the back line in a huge way. And that's a big deal. Uh, the defensive improvement is partially going to come from better personnel in the back four. Uh, they signed now. I, obviously, it doesn't look like they made huge improvements in the offseason there, but they signed three different what should be starting level level defenders uh, in the summer last year, kind of with this season in mind. Uh, so Acapo in particular, because he didn't play last season, uh, was was signed with 2023 in mind. But Trauco as well, uh, Rodriguez as well. You have a new goalkeeper that has a, is a pure shot stopper. You have a new six in front of them. And of course, you're going to have a new system that's going to be training in a more traditional defensive scheme from the beginning. Six was the missing link. Uh, Judson was not is not at the levels he was in 2019. And there's questions about the other parts of his game, whether or not they would translate into Lucci ball. Cruezo translates very nicely. But then that's where we get into the two questions. Is, is this the right DP6? Uh, and is this the right amount of money? Let's talk about the right DP6 first. Uh, I would say that his first turn in MLS, Cruezo was a really strong player and, and on the ball possession kind of guy. More of an eight, really, is how he was used in FCD. And FCD was quite good. They won a supporter's shield with him uh, in their midfield. So this was a, you know, a guy who was a major part of a really good team. Uh, in Augsburg, the thing that's kind of hard to tell is if you look at his tape, if you look at statistics, they're pretty middling. 
but it's all in the context of he's playing for a bad side in a league that's kind of top heavy. So Augsburg is holding on for dear life in most of the games it plays. So he plays an extremely conservative, relatively negative version of the position. So if you look at the way he played in MLS before, and you look at the way that he played for Augsburg in the last three years, that he looks like a different player. What we're basically betting on here is that that time in Augsburg at that higher level has seasoned him and rounded out his game so that he's a defensive iron wall. And then when he retranslates back into MLS, he'll be a dominant player again, rather than a relatively middling kind of conservative player. Uh, that's what Lucci's saying. And if that translation goes well, yeah, that retranslation back to MLS, then yes, $3 million for a transfer fee. I'm going to guess somewhere in the millions, you know, like a million five in terms of a salary. That is an appropriate fee for somebody who can be a transformative number six. The question is, are they going to get what I just described? Or is the guy who's been kind of a, you know, middling player on a bad Bundesliga side, is he at that level? Uh, or can he do more? Lucci, I know for a fact, believes that he can. Uh, but I do know that the front office probably looked at some other targets that actually would have been more expensive uh, and ultimately didn't end up being able to close any of those deals uh, for guys that they were 100% sure about. So I think there are some doubts because of the fact he was playing on a bad team that wasn't you know, performing very highly. But uh, Lucci doesn't have those doubts. So we'll see this year which one is right. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, what you're saying about, you know, it felt like uh, when I saw his video from uh, from FC Dallas, he was a very key part of like orchestrating the attack and further up the pitch as well. So if they're playing out of the back and Lucci very much played out of the back at FC Dallas when he would get pressed, you know, the guy who was going to get them out of that press was Guerrezo. And I think that's great because in the past, what you've needed is Jackson Yule to drop back because guys like Rometty, guys like Judson were not as prolific passers to be able to get out of that press. Uh, Rometty better than Judson, um, but at the same time still lacking. And so that was the idea, I believe, behind uh, having Jackson Yule start as a center back last year, uh, you know, under Almeida still, uh, was to have him already back there, ready to be able to be that quarterback be that distributor. Garezzo does the same thing, but he does it higher up the pitch. Almost, at least he did for FC Dallas, more like an eight. What I noticed with, with uh, his time at Augsburg is that he dropped more between the center backs and they pushed wide and he's distributing from very deep, at least in the tape that I saw. Yep. Very and so, orthodox. And so, you know, that is very orthodox, but, but I don't think like that's what the Quakes are going to want to do with him. I'm expecting... We're going to see more of what we saw FC Dallas. Very, very interesting. Um, I want to uh, actually one more thing. Yeah, just go on, ahead. Truly on the numbers here. So I, I actually, I had this exact discussion with the front office about like whether or not this is the right value, and uh, I, I ultimately came to the conclusion that it was. And one of the things you can look to as a fan is. Uh, Jose Martinez at Philadelphia Union is a very good number six. I mean, he is a huge, he's not the name you you hear about when Phil, you hear about the Union and what they're doing, but he is right. essential to the way that they play. Uh, they value him very highly. They turned down a bid of about $3 million from Besiktas. And so that can give you an idea of an elite number six in this league. That's kind of the going rate. And Martinez is about the exact same age as Croeso. So it's about the right rate. Uh, it's also, by the way, about 30% less uh, than Augsburg paid for him originally. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, who's, the, who's the guy that um, Vancouver picked up? Do you remember? They got a DP6 as well. Do you remember uh, how much they paid there, Colin? I don't. Okay. And, and there's something I think that the, the fans can help answer for us, which is how him and Jackson Ewell were interacting in the game against Monterey Bay. Because my intuition is that in the defensive uh, phase, uh, Garezzo is going to be deeper. Garezzo is going to be protecting the back line. Garezzo is going to be the guy winning the balls. And we've already seen, I think, in the comments, people are saying how good he was at communicating uh, in that defensive phase and, and winning 50-50 balls. In the attacking phase, I wouldn't be surprised if it were Jackson Ewell who's the one dropping deeper. And then Garezzo is doing a little bit more shuttling in between the, the front line and the back line. So I, I'm curious curious how uh, they were playing in that game. We haven't been able to see the full game, uh, only the highlights. And so I, I think throughout the rest of preseason at the Coachelli Valley Invitational that they're going to play in a few weeks, that's one of the things I'll be looking for uh, because that midfield is not pinned down yet. There were you know, plenty of uh, doubts about Jackson Ewell last season uh, and, and 
you know, you have a guy like Nico Shakiris, who's also uh, you know, got, got an assist to, from a corner in the, the game against Monterey Bay and can do that job of shuttling the ball up and down the field really quite well. And so uh, we'll have to see how this midfield lines up uh, because that will you know, change Grezzo's role significantly. So, uh, so Arfi says that Groza was definitely deeper than Yule, and on the ball, he mostly played first time to the open guy. Monterey pressed high, so he didn't have uh, much time on the ball. So uh, that was uh, apparently what we saw last night. But it's not MLS-level competition. And so to your point, Alex, you know, you and I will be at the Coachella Valley, at least for that final game against uh, the Red Bulls, and hopefully we'll get to uh, – we're going to plan an aftershock. It'll be like middle of the day. We'll maybe talk more about it later in the show. But uh, we'll definitely be sharing uh, what we're seeing when we get and, there. And let's Go also ahead. keep in mind that, that Grezzo's only been uh, in San Jose for, you know, a little more than a week. So they threw him yeah. right into that game against Monterey Bay without significant preseason time. Uh, you know, he was not a part of the, the team uh, that went to Santa Barbara, a part of the squad that spent, a, uh, you know, a few days in Santa Barbara for a preseason camp there. Uh, so, so he's still getting integrated into the team uh, right now. Yeah, and changing also systems – um, you know, it's going to be something that's going to, I mean, this is what preseason is for. We should expect some rough spots. We should expect, expect it to take a little bit of time for that gelling to occur. If he says, yes, he didn't seem well gelled uh, yet. Okay. So uh, I wanted to bring this up because our man, I want to give him credit. We really wanted to do a show when he could be here. Uh, Robert Jonas, um, he went to the, to the pitch the day that Carlos uh, Grezzo was signed. The team was practicing in San Jose and caught uh, Lucha Gonzalez on the pitch before the press conference that we had the other day. And I wanted to, uh, to point out, uh, you know, some of the quotes that he was able to get directly from Lucci. He mentioned that uh, Grezzo is going to be really important for us. We need to have a competitive midfield with the addition of Carlos. It only gets better. He brings leadership, previous MLS experience, someone on and off the field. That's going to help our identity. Now we're going to have a very competitive midfield that's going to create, but also destroy and have the bite to recover the ball. And one of the things that that we were hearing uh, about those NYCFC games and Toronto games is that the Quakes were absolutely, uh, you know, there to counter press and win the ball back and then would hold on to the ball for long stretches. In fact, scored a goal off of a very long possession. Uh, I heard directly from someone around TFC, uh, according to one of the players, that San Jose absolutely dominated them. That, uh, that they barely touched the ball in the first half, and the subs didn't fare much better in the second half. Uh, and so uh, you can kind of see what Lucci's trying to do here. He's looking to try to uh, use probably a bit of that, what we saw from the U.S. national team in Burhalter, particularly in the games, I would say, um, against uh, Wales and against England, where they did a really good job you know, counter-pressing, like winning the ball back quickly, having numbers around the ball, having structure behind it and such. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a bit of that already. Uh, final tweet here from Robert uh, uh, Montero and you'll create, but it's about compliments and partnerships. Grezzo is a ball winner with proven experience. That balance is necessary to compete in this league. And that's why we made this signing. So some really good quotes that Robert was able to get uh, directly from Lucha Gonzalez. We also have assets you know, from the press conference, I uh, got to talk with Carlos Guerrero, both uh, Alex and I did. Um, and uh, we also got uh, a couple of questions in for for Leach and, and uh, Lucci along the way, uh, including, you know, about uh, what additional pieces uh, may be coming. So maybe we'll get to that here in just a bit. But I also wanted to bring up, um, I thought, a very important uh, bit of information here from Lucci. So let's start with this. Let me grab this. Let me bring it up and then let's get uh, comments from from you guys here. I got to remember how to do this. I'm a preseason well, during, form here. Yeah, during your, your interlude for doing that, I actually did look up uh, Vancouver. They paid for three million dollars for Andres Cuba. Uh, there you Cubas, go. Cubas, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's who is the defensive midfielder. So that that is about the going rate for a very high level six, and we'll see if he's that. Excellent. Okay, so I need to I need to actually like reshare my screen here. Uh, that's why that's not it's uh, taking a little long. Um, thank, thank, thank God for uh, transfermarket.com, right, Colin? That's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the league, actually, this is a good time to just go back and thank the league for becoming more transparent than it was five, 10 years ago, where that would never have been published in any way, shape, or form. 
Okay, I'm gonna blow this up full screen so maybe people can read it a little bit better, but I'll read it off here. Uh, this is a, another quote from Lucci from the press conference. And I'm gonna skip forward a little bit here where he says at the very end, but I think the most important thing is what Carlos said. He wants to be here. He wants to be a San Jose Earthquakes player. I think analysis we do with a player, no matter position or challenge. When a player tells you they want to be a San Jose Earthquake, that's the best starting point we can have you know, going into the next step. So, you know, it, it, uh, it looks like, you know, he didn't have to twist his arm very much guys. Uh, you know, Carlos Grezzo and, and Grezzo mentioned his family was very, very supportive of this move. He's, he's from Ecuador. You have to imagine, you know, three years in Germany, uh, you know, he's in the prime of his career, but also, you know, for a player from South America, it's pretty far from, from home. And, uh, you know, this opportunity to be able to come back under a coach that he respects, trusts, uh, and be a lot closer to home, be in a community of, of many more, obviously, Spanish-speaking people uh, around players who speak a lot of Spanish, a lot of Portuguese um, around, so, so Latin languages. You know, this team, in some ways, feels as Latin as it ever did under Matias Almeida, and, and in the starting lineup, maybe even more so. And, and I don't know if you saw clips on uh, the Earthquake's Twitter accounts. In his uh, halftime speeches, uh, Luchi Gonzalez shifts back and forth between English and Spanish and, mm. and possibly Portuguese as well. Um, but he, he, it's definitely a multilingual locker room. Uh, and just the fact that Grezzo has lived in the United States for four years and worked with Luchi Gonzalez before gives me confidence that the transition back to, to Major League Soccer will be an easy one. Um, also note, this is something I, I didn't even realize we ended up breaking this news uh, through the Quakes Center Twitter account, but that, that four years he spent in the U.S. also meant that he has a green card, which means that he counts as a domestic player. Uh, and that's, that's, a big, uh, that's a big bonus for this team because after last year where they actually ran uh, very tight on international spots, they, they kept them very low and they sold off their extras. This year, they're already at eight. Now, they have a couple of avenues of go and that and that is the limit for those who aren't familiar uh they have a couple avenues are getting less but when you can bring in a dp who is uh for roster purposes domestic player you know that 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 helps too uh and i would just uh, note in addition that the the bilinguality if that's a word of luchi gonzalez is is one of the big assets here you know uh, there were there's problems when you have an english only coach because he's not you know, able to reach the the spanish-speaking players as well you know, Dom Kinnear actually had some amount of Spanish uh, and Matias Almeida had some amount of English, too. They didn't say that in the press availabilities because they preferred to stick to their native uh, tongue. But when you have somebody who's very truly comfortable in both, uh, it really kind of bridges that gap. And so that's one of the things I think is a big asset for Luigi Gonzalez. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the other signing, Daniel, and then we will kind of circle back to the overall feelings about, you know, the roster, the starting lineup, like, you know, how we, what we think we're going to, to kind of see over the next uh, three preseason games that are left. Um, and uh, so, you know, we also have this signing uh, Daniel uh, De Sousa Brito, I believe if you, you know, is his full name, but again, in kind of the Brazilian, we've got, you know, Rodriguez here, we've got uh, Nathan or Nathan, we've got Judson, and now a fourth Portuguese player, uh, Daniel. And, um, you know, it's, uh, he got, uh, got a run out for the first half last night, uh, gave up a goal, uh, in the video that I saw, looked like he got completely screened, probably never even saw the shot. Um, but, uh, the, uh, you know, also good, good opportunity for Quakes fans to have their first impression. So fans, if you saw him last night, you know, definitely let us know, you know, what you thought about, uh, Daniel's performance, but, as the signing goes, I've written about this already for Quakes Epicenter, my second preseason article. I'm very bullish on the signing because his track record down in Brazil as a goalkeeper in terms of his goals saved over expected, you know, is really big. It's, you know, about eight a season or so. Um, that type of numbers would put him into the top, you know, three or four goalkeepers in MLS if it translates. Um, 600,000 takes up a, a, uh, international player spot. It's a little bit different, weird for a goalkeeper, but I like it because I believe the goalkeeper position is one that's unique in MLS. We've seen what a guy like Matt Turner can do. Um, guys like Andre Blake, guys like Sean Johnson, 
you know, how big they are for their team and how they really keep the number of goals against down. Um, and last season, we had, or tw- let's say 2021, you had JT with a very good season, uh, saved over expected. Uh, in uh, 2022, saved significantly under expected according to the metrics. Um, and I, that has to be something that the team is looking at from my perspective. That's why they felt they had to go out and, uh, and do something here. It doesn't mean he's going to start day one, but we've got ourselves a goalkeeper competition guys. You know, what are your feelings about, uh, about Daniel, the price paid and, and, uh, you know, all the specifics that you know around it. Um, I'll start us off here. I think, so the Gruezo thing is, is a right down the middle of the fairway makes perfect sense on every level. If if he's the player that we you know if we put our trust in Luigi, that is the exact right fit. Daniel for me is a much more complicated one for valuation. Uh, I agree. I, I see very strongly the the analytics folks like Jamin here, but you know you talk to other people as well. They really value shot stopping and uh, from the goalkeeper position. Uh, the way it kind of reminds me in some ways is that for a long time goalkeepers were undervalued. Uh, then they became the Manuel Neuer generation where everyone was a sleeper keeper and we were playing it out of the back. Then the analytics kind of came back around and we're like, wait a second, that shot stopping element of goalkeeping, that thing that we used to rely on, that actually is super valuable. It's kind of like catchers in baseball. The, the defensive metrics took a long time to kind of catch up to the way that the value was actually being created from that position. But once it was, it actually kind of reaffirmed the original consensus about it so uh it, it, which is a funny thing that can sometimes happen so i think that that might be happening here um and i think that ball stopping is very important and matt turner is the quintessential example of someone who's just an elite shot stopper and that provided huge value to his team so that is important and jt was very bad at that last year um the other side of that, though, the reason that it's not just a slam dunk for me, and by the way, I, I've kind of suggested this before, and certainly in the uh, the patron chat, these two schools of thinking that I'm about to outline are very much both present within the front office uh, of the San Jose Earthquakes. This is kind of an internal debate. Eventually, the analytics side won out, and that's why they spent a large amount of money on a goalkeeper, and you don't spend TAM money on a goalkeeper unless you think that he is starting quality. That doesn't mean that he gets the start day one, but, you know, it's somebody that you feel comfortable handing the keys over to. Um, and, yeah, Jamin's article is excellent. Everyone should go read it. And Tre- and Trevor, who uh, helped me helped me write it. That's why he says there you go. how amazing there you it go. is. So he's he's got a little skin in that game, yeah. to be fair. The other side, though, I want to uh, – the other perspective, and this is one that I hold is just as close for me um, as that other argument. I think it's pretty 50-50, is under Lucci's system, you do need somebody who can – you know, play the ball out of the back. You know, somebody who's comfortable with their feet, somebody who can move up and sweep up balls behind the back line because it is a higher pressure, more possessant oriented system. So those other skills do still matter. And Daniel is not as strong in those categories. They're the categories that in general, JT is stronger at. So I think that's kind of interesting that you bring in a totally different look as a keeper tactically and otherwise. So you're correcting for one big problem, but you might be creating another for uh, yourself. And the other thing that I would say is there's a lot of people who, you know, around the club who they look at JT's numbers from last year and they don't put it on him. They say, look, he was defending one-on-one breakaways more than any other keeper in the league. He was facing more shots, you know, in more dangerous positions than other people in the league were. And therefore anyone was going to look bad behind this kind of unorthodox, you know, Almeida system. And then this kind of lost season afterwards. So there's one school of thought, which is JT has the right attributes for Lucci's system, and we need to see him in a better situation to see what he can really do as a shot stopper. And the other school of thought is he's just not a good shot stopper. We need to go upgrade. And that is the argument that won out. Um, and so now this season, it's up to JT to either up his game as a shot stopper to preserve his uh, starting role, or he's going to lose it. Alex, let's say you. Look, the, the one chart uh, that you know, stuck out to me uh, from your article, Jamin, uh, was the chart that showed uh, JT Marcinkowski's progression when uh, Carlos Roa was the goalkeeper coach, and then after Matias Almeida left and Carlos Roa was no longer the goalkeeper coach. And immediately uh, after Carlos Roa left, you saw JT's performance completely tail off and spin out of control. And when we talk about outfield players, it makes sense. You have a new coach. They're going to fit into the system differently. You know, their, their outcomes, their performance changes. We don't think about that when it comes to goalkeepers. We don't think about the goalkeeping coach and who is training with them 
uh, and who they're working with on their positioning and their shot stopping. But clearly, if that one chart shows anything, it's that the goalkeeping coach really matters. And I think this season, the Earthquakes went out and signed one of the top goalkeeper coaches in Major League Soccer in Adam Brown. He was the one who trained Gaga Slonina and got him that transfer to Chelsea. I think with a new goalkeeper coach, JT Marcinkowski can easily get back to his early 20. Uh, 2020, 21, uh, 2021 numbers uh, and become, uh, you know, above average goalkeeper in major league soccer. And so that's why this transfer doesn't make as much sense to me. Clearly, there's no debating that Daniel has excellent statistics from his time in Brazil, but he's a guy who really needs uh, to come in and raise the level significantly, right? To justify an international slot. He's 28 years old. This isn't sort of a, a developmentally oriented transfer. This is a guy who they expect to come in and be the starter immediately. If he's not the starter day one, I'm flabbergasted. I don't really understand why they signed him then, right? He, he has to be the starter uh, given uh, the, 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 you know, the money and the, the sort of value uh, they've trusted in him. Uh, right. So, so that's why I'm surprised. I don't know if there's going to be uh, as significant a, uh, sort of improvement to justify this transfer. And, and really what this transfer says to me uh, is that they're entirely confident that they're going to be able to uh, get the best out of Benji Kukanovic, that Benji Kukanovic is going to stay, and that they're confident in their front line, right? Because if you're not confident in your front line, then that's where you need to invest this money, right? That, then you have a different priority. But, but this focus on the back line shows me that they think that uh, Luchi can, uh, Gonzalez can work with the pieces that he has up top and that they don't need you know, a ton of significant additions there. Cause otherwise the priorities don't really make sense to me. I think there's a, I think there's a number of things at play and maybe my article didn't do a good job in kind of conveying all the angles here as to why I think, why they made this signing, but let me just try to, try to, to, to uh, add a little bit more to it. Um, JT has been what you would call an average stop, shot stopper over the course of his entire career, if you just look at things like save percentage goals, you know, versus expected, you know, save versus not, you know, everything kind of comes out very average. There's been plenty of keepers in earthquakes history since we started tracking this information that have been better. There have been plenty also that have been worse. You know, Andrew Tarbell, worse. David Bingham's final season, worse. Daniel Vega, much worse. Uh, you know, I think Daniel Vega's 2020 was the worst, you know, on record uh, that we have. So, you know, there's, uh, I, I think like you have to, they, they look at the situation and go like, we need some insurance at least that if the season starts poorly, we've got like someone who can come in and that someone is not just going to be another average shot stopper. We're going to go up, you know, and, and try to go better than that. Right. I think there's there's that piece of it. I think there is the uncertainty around Emmy and his future because he's going to get to go play now, you know, in the U20 World Cup. He may or may not be the starter. I don't I don't have, I don't know if he will or he won't be. But if he's starting and he does well and now you've got the same goalkeeper coach that got Gaga uh, Slolina into Chelsea, you know, what's going to happen potentially to Emmy? You know, Emmy might be going. And so you need that kind of like insurance around all those different situations. I think there's just a lot of things that are at play here. And it was necessary to do something rather than do nothing and just bring in a Brian Meredith or something like that, you know, and that wasn't going to push JT. So now you've got a goalkeeper coach that can push him. By the way, uh, a great uh, conversation he had, uh, JT had, um, uh, you know, on the, uh, on, uh, the soccer hour the other day with Ted Ramey, mentioned that, you know, he's worked in the past with, with Aiden. He knows Aiden well. They both came from the same goalkeeper coach. They both had the same goalkeeper coach before, which in says that they have very similar philosophies about the position, which is really great. It's very comfortable for him. He's really looking forward to working with Aiden. It's a great fit. So you've got, you know, Aiden Brown uh, coming in, and now you've also got, uh, you've got, um, you know, competition. And if nothing else out of all of this, I think, I feel that we're going to learn what JT's true upside is. He's either going to break through that average to above average, maybe even better, uh, as a result of Aiden plus being pushed here, or 
it's going to just be, no, we've, there's, Daniel's a clearly better goalkeeper and he's going to end up starting. Look, it's weird though. I don't think we've ever had, we've ever been in a position uh, where we're uncertain, you know, who the, the long-term starter is going to be. It's unusual, I think, uh, to have it be such a toss-up uh, for, for the starting goalkeeper. Uh, you know, we haven't been in this situation since JT Marcinkowski and, and Daniel Vega uh, were competing for the spot in 2020. And to be honest, that was a fairly smooth transition. It was clear that JT was the younger and better goalkeeper. And even though it took a long time, once JT got that starting spot, uh, it was his from, from there on out. We've never been in a position before, uh, you know, with this Earthquakes team uh, where, you know, we could have uh, JT starting for two months and then Daniel starting for two months and then JT starting for two months. Realistically, that could be the case this season. Can I uh, throw something out here just based yeah. on what so the fans are, the fans are really jumping in here. I'm going to yeah, keep sharing their comments and please keep, keep them coming. Absolutely. And you're doing the, a great it's job. The fans feedback that's, that's prompted this thought for me. So uh, this, is, it, this is a very interesting thing for me. As I said, I'm pretty 50, 50 on whether or not I'm, you know, uh, on which side of this argument I land. Uh, the the thing that's different now of the analytics is it's not, I want to translate this because there's there's a certain amount of analytics that's assessing on-pitch value. There is a slightly, you know, there's an extra twist or one extra step that then you're trying to assess the economic value of that on-pitch on pitch value. So basically what's changed over the last, I would say actually really only the last couple of years is that historically goalkeepers were a position that most clubs tried to save money on uh, because the view was that uh, the difference between the elite goalkeepers and the middle of the pack goalkeepers wasn't super big uh, and the going rate wasn't very high. So you should save money there. It's similar to, you know, a positional value of say fullbacks is generally lower than it would be for attacking midfielders. So, and that's a totally rational thing. There are certain positions where the difference between paying, you know, $100,000, $500,000, a million dollars, there are positions where the, the on-pitch value is a bigger or lesser spread uh, and contributes more or less to, ending ga- uh, to winning games. What's changed in the last couple of years is the view that the shot stopping of goalkeepers actually is undervalued. Uh, and therefore, it is actually rational to spend $600,000 on a transfer. And we don't know what his salary is going to be, but it will certainly be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. So the view is that that is actually a better way to upgrade your team. You know, let's say Daniel takes us from being eight goals under or excuse me, overexpected to eight goals underexpected, you know, which is basically the difference between JT last year and Daniel's historical career. That's like an eight goal swing. Team, it's a 16 goal swing. It's a 16 goal swing, right? And so the value of that is immense. And therefore, $600,000 in a transfer fee and a couple hundred thousand dollars in salary is a bargain if that's the way it shakes out. So the, the, the analytics have kind of changed their view on the economic value of goalkeeping as well as the way that they assess goalkeeping as a whole. Uh, as I said, it's kind of similar to catchers defensively in baseball. So I totally see the rationale, and that's why I'm 50-50 on it. But, of course, I think that because of the other skills that JT has and the fact that he's at a lower rate, I kind of would have liked to see what he looked like in front of a better line. Uh, and if it still wasn't looking good for him in the summer, that's kind of when I would have made that move. But clearly the team decided that they had an opportunity now to pick an elite shot stopper, and they took it. Look, and, and here's one other thing that we might not even be thinking about. The, the back line now, they're going to be speaking Portuguese. You have three Brazilians uh, – you know, in the, the two center back spots right. and, and in goal, you have Nathan, you have Rodriguez, and now you have Daniel and goal. Uh, and so just that sort of, uh, you know, familiarity and, and, and you know, language sharing, I, I, I think that could be huge in, in the team's defensive organization. You talk about structure. That's the, the thing that the mantra that Luchi Gonzalez has been repeating. Structure, defensive organization is going to be key to this team's success. And, you know, I think it's important not to underestimate that factor. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of interesting interesting comments, you know, about this, and and I can see both sides. Um, I can see definitely the side that hey, with a great goalkeeper coach that he's very comfortable with, and now you know you know a a uh, someone to push him, we could see a much better you know JT shot stopping skills than we saw last season. JT even mentioned on on uh, the the show with Ted Ramey that he felt he was not doing a good job setting his feet and preparing to explode to the ball in certain situations last year. And he knows that he should be able to do better in those situations. And it's something that he's been working on. So again, it comes back to what I see in the numbers, which does not mean that's what the future is going to hold, is that over over the period of time, things tend to come back to you know, the mean 
for JT as a shot stopper and that he kind of is who he is. His shot stopping at Reno was pretty much the same as it's been for the Quakes. There's actually no difference. Um, the numbers are the same. You can look at, look at them for yourself in fbref.com. Um, and so it kind of tells you, like, we think we know who JT is at this point. And if we do, then this is why I believe that the team is like, we believe this position can be upgraded. By the way, this is a last place team. Every position in this team could be upgraded. I just wanted to really emphasize that. So we have an emotional attachment to people like JT because we've watched him grow up since he's 15. He's been practicing with this team and he's earned that spot. And then we were all upset when Almeida brought in Daniel Vega and sent him back to the bench. And then he finally got that spot back because Vega was terrible. And, you know, and then he did well. Right. And so, look, we all root for JT. We all love JT. This is not an anti-JT thing, but if you're Chris Leach and your analytics staff and your coaching staff and your video staff and everyone's taking a look at this going, this position can be upgraded. Here's the cost to upgrade it. To get an elite player, we need to go down to South America because we're not going to find one available to us in MLS. By the way, Sean Johnson, people go like, why not sign Sean Johnson? He was never available to the Quakes. So I just want to be very clear about that. So you have to go down to get the, 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 the one that you want that outperforms the stats in the way that you want. You got to go down to South America. And by the way, you got to find a player who's available. And in the case of International, their backup goalkeeper, when, when Daniel got hurt for four games, like he went off the charts. He, he gave up only one goal in four games and just kept the position for the rest of the year. He's making uh, down there, he's making you know very little money. Daniel's making a lot of more money. And they're like, just like we would, you know, if you had two players where one got hurt and another stepped in and was every bit as good, looked every bit as good, maybe even better than the player. And you're like, oh, that's a three, $4 million player. Sell the four, three, $4 million player. Let's make some money and we'll just start the youngster. It's exactly what International did. Now, in terms of like why some of the fans don't seem to like like him, the best I've been able to come up with is that there were a couple goals in the last season, not the first season. He, he was started for two years at Arnationale. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the second season, there were a couple goals that were his fault. But let me, you know, play this for you. For a keeper who's stopping eight over expected, even if he kicks the ball into his own net two times during the season, he's still six over expected. That's still better than a keeper that's right at zero and doesn't kick any into his own net and doesn't make every any mistakes and makes the perfect pass every single time. That's why shot stopping is valuable. So I'm done with that. That's my soapbox taken away. I'll, 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 I'll hand it off to you guys. Any final thoughts on the Daniel situation? I think, I think there's probably some great other comments I need to go catch up over here on the side. No, I, I, I was actually going to, I was going to stick and pivot with you because Alex brought up the, the, the next transition. If we can move on to like potential future moves and roster, if we're going to, I'm assuming we'll do that before we do. Yeah, that. we're going to get to that. And we got that uh, video. I, I want to, I do want to play, but let me get through some of the fan stuff and then I can pivot and, and pull up the video. Sure. But if you guys want to start to talk about, uh, you know, how you're, you know, seeing the rest of the roster. Yeah, no, no, no. The, the reason that, I mean, I was bringing up the, like, why are they putting the resources there? I think that um, that's the attacking. So the midfield is now, we think, largely solidified. We had, we know who the three starters are. We know a decent amount of who the backups are. Um, that attacking three, and we're kind of, it looks like Lucci's going to run something like a 4-3-3 uh, of a relatively, you know, conventional type. Uh, that attacking three is very interesting to me because, you know, Espinosa is going to be the starter on the right. Definitely. You know, Jaybo is going to be the starter in this, as a striker. Definitely. But then you kind of have one extra man in a sense, which is that left wing spot. Benji's looked really good. Cade has not looked so good uh, last year through most of the year, but has kind of started. It looks like he's turning it on this preseason. So there you got got three guys for two slots, especially because, as you all know, I kind of view Benji as a number nine in a more pure sense than than he is. But he can be effective in both. Um, they don't really have any backups to this. So they have a, one too many starting level guys, but they're actually a little bit light in terms of depth. Because once you get beyond those four guys I just mentioned, oh man, I closed my door, but my cat got in anyway. 
Um, <laughs> she's she's most welcome. Common, welcome to, welcome to the show. Cat's name? Uh, Chutney. Hey, Chutney. Chutney is a maniac. Oh, I love men Chutney. Yeah. So um, anyway, the, so we know that there's, there's four. You have a strong four. You have three starting spots. You maybe you're overweight one starting spot. In terms of the backups, though, they don't really have a lot of difference makers uh, beyond that. And so I'd be very interested to see what else they do there. And it seems to me like in some ways they are probably uh, waiting on what happens with Benji uh, and perhaps even waiting on what happens with Cade before they make a big move. But I think they might need to make a little move to shore up the depth there. Because the next guy off the, off the bench of those guys, Useni Buddha, who's looked good at moments, but not necessarily super effective. So I'd be very interested to see what Alex thinks is the right move from here, but I definitely think they're a body light and attack. You, you think something is going to happen with Cade this off season? No, not necessarily this off season, but I'm saying like in June, you know, if he comes off to a torrid start and there's a big bid, he could get a, well, you know, he could be shipped out. Same thing with Benji. I, I, I think the, the, the bigger risk is, is, is losing Cade to the, the U20 World Cup because we talked to him and we know that that's a target of his. So that's one less option in depth. And that's happening in just a few months time. So, you know, realistically, you can't count on Cade as well, to, to, be the, to be the, yep. the you know, the full time left wing starter. Uh, this season if he's going to be there and he's looked good for the I honestly he's looked better for the US U20 national team than he has for the earthquakes he looked better for the US men's national team against Serbia a few weeks ago than he has for the earthquakes for uh, you know months uh, of last year so uh, my guess is that he'll be called in for that tournament and so then it's you know really no surprise it's going to be Benji Gukanovic starting on that left wing Uh, and you know you're banking on Benji to be able to you know improve his goal scoring tally quite significantly you're banking on him having a you know 10 to 15 goal season on on the left wing uh, in order to be able to compete uh, offensively and you know i have confidence in benji clearly matias almeida has confidence that benji can be that type of player if he's trying to pry him away to to athens uh, but uh, that's i i i think that's uh, still you know the biggest question mark in the offense for me is is whether benji will be able to to make that jump or whether Luchi Gonzalez even trusts him to be that guy, because we we don't know how Luchi Gonzalez uh, sees Benji yet or, or favors Benji. Let me, uh, uh, as Daniel's Daniel saying, he needs another left wing. I I I have actually very much moved off this take. I'll tell you why. My quick on this. Sorry, Colin. Did you want to ask? I was going to say the exact same thing. It was just kind of open question to both of you. Like, do you think we're a body light? And if we are, where? That's ex- very similar to Daniel's he, question. I, I do oh. think we're a body light, but but let me let me. It's, I don't think it's left wing. I'll tell you why. So last year, the big the highest goal scorer at from a wing in MLS that was non penalty goal score. Okay, so non penalties goals in MLS was ten. It's just 10. Benji had six and he played half the minutes. I should tell you something right there. Six is pretty darn good. Uh, In fact, in terms of goals plus assists for wingers uh, per 96 minutes played, which is the way that ASA does it instead of per 90, per 96, he was fourth out of all the wingers in the league. The three ahead of him were designated players. So it kind of shows you Benji's production as a winger is a lot better than I think some people think it is. Now, hear me out. Benji plus Cade, Cade had four goals. Guess what? That's 10 goals. You know how many goals you got on the other side of the pitch? Two. Left wing's not a huge problem when you take a look at the actual you know, production. It's actually pretty good production. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm Christian Mespinoza, 100% makes it up in other ways. Like the data on Christian Espinoza shows he's very clearly a designated player. It doesn't show up in goals. It shows up in other areas of the pitch. He did get five more goals off of penalties last year. He also, you know, was one of the top assist guys in the league and has been for three years running. Uh, and one of the things that people just don't understand about him is he's one of the quickest ball pressers there is in the league. Like when you look at his second spectrum level numbers in terms of like how quick he pres- he presses, how many times he presses a game, it's twice as much as Benji and Cade are doing on the other side. Twice twice as fast to the ball. Like it's insane. Uh, so Christian Espinosa, I'm not trying to like put him down here. I just feel like the wingers are not the problem. My concern is when Nico Shakiris goes to 
U17s, what's going to happen there? I, to me, that I, there's, you know, I call it a elephant in the room. Uh, you know, can Jackson Ewell really move away from having to feel like he has that defensive responsibility and, you know, him between him and Montero really kind of power the center of the pitch attack? It's a massive question for me. He hasn't done it in his history. Well, and I think the other thing you have to consider down the, the left side is that the Quakes didn't really have a locked-in left back for the majority of last season. Most of the time we saw Tanner Beeson uh, shifting, towards the end of the season at least, shifting into that left back role. He's not the kind of guy who's going to bomb you know, down the wing on the overlap, who's going to get super involved in the attack. So if you need more goal-scoring production from that left wing, uh, I think you know having... Uh, you know, a guy like uh, uh, Miguel Trauco or Carlos Sacapo uh, playing there and, and adding more going forward uh, is it, going to significantly increase that offensive production as well. So that's that's another reason I'm not quite as worried uh, about that left wing spot uh, right now. But I, I, I agree with the, the fundamental premise is that they need a, a piece in that offense who can be flexible, who can you know cover for Shakiris, cover for Cowell, uh, and who can you know add another you know, five, six goals to this team. John Jay is saying there's always Haji. Oh, wait, but I actually have a counter to that. Asani Buddha to me, better than Haji. I, and, I he, and, and, and he doesn't have a down as much downside on the defensive side of the ball. And so I'm actually, Haji was more all potential, Buddha. all potential, no reality. Uh, completely. And, and what I would like to do is when Cade's gone, I want to see some Asani Buddha getting onto the pitch and I want to see more Asani Buddha. Jamie, there, there is one, thing that gives me pause about Benji Kukanovich though which is that sure. last season uh, he was put in uh, usually as a, a second half substitute in really favorable game situations when the Quakes were chasing a goal uh, or when uh, you know there was wide open space uh, in, in that uh, uh, you know channels in behind and he was running into that space uh, and, and and getting lots of opportunities so that's you're that's you're maybe saying Benji was coming off the bench uh, for for large stretches of the season, no, he my, was. Jamin, I, I want you to weigh in here. My recollection was that Benji would typically get the start and Cade would typically get the bench Cade, 30 Cade, minutes. Cade started the season. It didn't go well. You'll remember Cade's start to the season was pretty poor. Benji started getting that time. Benji, I think, got an injury. So Cade kind of came back. And then there was a bit of kind of platooning. Like Cade got kind of hot where he scored a couple goals and then kind of kept the start for like another three, four games. And then he kind of, you know, went south again. And then Benji came back in and got hot. So they kind of traded, uh, I think, uh, getting hot at different times. Overall, I felt Benji was a good bit more consistent than than Cade. And usually, and felt to me like Cade would, if Cade had a poor game, he was on an island and he wasn't even really a factor. Like he wasn't getting touches. When Benji wasn't scoring goals, it felt like he was always the one you know, along with Montero, who was trying to make something happen on the left side, um, particularly once, you know, Marcos Lopez was gone. Uh, it was pretty much left up to, to Benji and, and Montero to create anything um, coming from from that side uh, because Tanner Beeson wasn't going to get forward. You know, no offense to Tanner, but that's just not his game. Right. And actually, uh, Trauco is much more defensive than Marcos Lopez was. So I'm not quite sure how much he's going to provide in the attack. I'll be quite honest. Well, well there is one thing I, I like the confidence that Benji Kukanovic has this season. Uh, you know, Daniel Mooney scored a header uh, against Monterey last night, but Benji Kukanovic wheeled away as if it were his own goal, uh, and then got credited with the goal uh, in the the earthquakes socials. So I like the the confidence in the the flair that he's bringing up top, uh, and it, possibly next time it will be Benji who puts the the ball in the back of the net. So, by the way, Daniel Muni, still not signed by the club. I have, based on talking to people, it doesn't seem like there's any doubt that he will be signed eventually. But technically speaking, he's not yet signed to the club. Although a lot and of people around And the didn't league, have a number last night and scored a goal without a number on his Yep. <laughs> a lot of people around the league who follow the draft really liked this kid. I, I know the team itself viewed him very highly. They actually rated him very high in the draft board, well above the slot that they ended up picking him. So the, he could be a, a good signing as well. Um, and it looks like we're going to get a clip on him, huh? We got his goal from last night. Oh, I can understand why Benji wanted it. 
And there he is, Benji, Benji doing the jump, Benji doing the, Benji the celebration. thought he Benji thought he had it, and uh, the, even the Quakes Twitter account was like "Goal Benji," and then they had come back and go, "Actually, a goal is scored by Mooney." <laughs> yep. But anyway, enough. so the on the one body light thing, you know, again, Jabo, we've talked about it before. Jabo running ninety minutes a game every single game, thirty four games a year, plus you know whatever else is there. Clearly, that's not going to work. You know, especially we got leagues cup, you know, open cup, whatever. Benji is a perfectly good backup nine, but then, you know, okay, is he also the starting left wing and the backup nine? You know, you, you end up kind of a whack-a-mole of like you're, you're covering one area and not another. Okay. Now Cade's on U 20 date, you know, duty. So I just think they're one body light in attack. I don't know exactly how they solve it. I imagine they'd probably get somebody who's a, a striker, but flexible, but you know, that, I, I think that there's one move they need to make there. And I think I, they need to sign Muni because I think that he actually might be better than Oscar Agron. Uh, and, you know, might actually get some game time this year. Well, I, another reason is injury concern. You know, Nathan apparently against Monterey went out with a small yeah. knock. Uh, so we're not sure what his status is. It, it seems like uh, he'll be okay. I know Carlos Acapo uh, is also not completely fit. He didn't play. He got a knock in preseason well. So it was our old favorite, Paul Marie, uh, starting at right back. So there is depth that they still need at, at uh, you know, in, yeah. in the defense where he could be helpful. Um but I, I do think if you're talking about new additions, Jamie, we have to run the clip from the, the press conference with Chris Leach. And, uh, let, me, uh, let, me stop sharing, let me stop sharing that. And uh, you know, this is way more content than we try to ever do here. So let's, uh, let's see if we can pull it off. I'm going to go to the press conference. And I think I have it queued up exactly where you want it, Alex. Let's see how I do. Oh, hang on one sec. I need to make sure I'm sharing the audio for this. Sorry about that. Let me just, it's important that we are sharing. I can, I can do my best lip dub if we don't have it. <laughs> no, I got it. I got, got it. it happening. We're, we're ready to go. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, look, Carlos is a big piece uh, in this roster build, right? I can, you know, Lucci can speak to what he's going to add to this team, uh, but we're very excited to have him a part of this, uh, a very competitive group. Uh, Fabian, look, I think, you know, I've said this before, but uh, we're always and constantly looking for ways of, of how we can improve the roster. So, um, you know, we have some good roster flexibility right now uh, and we remain opportunistic, but we do also feel very good about the current group of players that we have. So I was, I was doing some lip reading and he said a new uh, 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 TAM 10 uh, in the somewhere in the range of about <laughs> $1.2 million. He's going to add, uh, you know, 12 goals uh, to this team. That, that's, that's what Chris Leach was saying. Yeah, if, I mean, I think that with that, I, I actually got a very, very restrained vibe there. Uh, I mean, obviously, front office guys don't like to tip their hands at all. Chris Leach very much does not like to tip his hand. Um, but even then, reading between the lines, I don't think that there's, and this is also from talking to people inside, I don't think there is a imminent big transaction that they are working on. I, I mean, they're always going to be opportunistic. They're always looking, uh, but I don't think they're working on it. And I think that one of the log jams, one of the blockages to those big moves is, you know, Cade and Benji in their long-term future. That's right. If Cade and Benji, like let's say Benji gets the $2 million bid from Athens uh, and they can't come to a contract extension with them and they end up selling him. Well, now you're a couple bodies light in attack and then you got to make a, a big move and then it might make sense to do so. Let's say Cade explodes in the first half of the season. He gets a massive European bid uh, over the summer. He leaves, you know, then that creates this spot. Right now, when you have both of them there and you have Montero pretty well situated in the 10, you have Jabo pretty well situated in the nine, there's, there are places you could certainly get better, but they're not gaping holes there were as there were before they brought in Groeza. Groeza was brought in to fill a gaping hole. So I think that they're they're a little bit waiting for how the cards fold out. And that's something that not just opens up a spot, but it also brings in a bunch of gamp uh, and the ability to have the salary flexibility to bring in a large player if they need it. Yeah. And let me just quickly add, and then then I do want to bring us to kind of closing thoughts here. We're almost an hour in. And I know, Alex, you got to be somewhere. Um, and it's late for Colin, too. So. Uh, the, the one thing to, to keep in mind here is that Luchi Gonzalez, in, in effect, walking through the door, um, I, have a, I have some pretty good information on this, you know, effectively said that he did not want to get put into a position where players were being sold and there was no plan to replace them like he did at FC Dallas. And particularly because he and Leach have that relationship, 
you know that, you know, Leach is going to have his back on this. He's not going to sell players out from under Lucci the same way it happened at FC Dallas, where he lost several players while he was there. And the team went from pretty good to pretty poor. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that, you know, I've understood is that if something happens with Benji, it's a, still a big if, it seems to me every with every passing day, it's less likely to happen. But if something happens with Benji, they have a pretty good idea. It sounds like how they would replace him. And what you're trying, what you have to try to do is make the deals line up. We kind of explained this a little bit on our Zoom call the other day, but you know you have to make these deals, you know, basically line up. So if you sell one player, another player is coming in because the season's starting, and plus Cade's going to be gone. So you know, absolutely, you can't be in a position of selling Benji without having the player that you would replace him with at this point. Okay, so let's move into uh, you know some uh, some final thoughts, guys. So quickly before we do that, you know, let me uh, let me just mention the Patreon. And, and the reason that I think it's worth mentioning the, the Patreon tonight is because, you know, I want to just give a huge shout out, you know, publicly to our patrons who really uh, stepped up in a big way. So you might be like, well, you've got the Patreon and, you know, you got over 150 patrons, you know, you've got cash coming in, you know, how are you guys going to use that to cover the team? But we took a look at the way airfares were going to be. And, you know, for the start of the season, at least until, you know, airfares start to come down a bit, they were extremely pricey, like two, three, four hundred dollars more than they normally would be. And then, you know, with the Coachella tournament, it actually is falling on President's Day weekend, which spikes everything even more. Um, so our patrons uh, in our Slack primarily um, stepped up and raised an additional over $800 so that Alex and I could uh, cover the Coachella Invitational, the final game against the Red Bulls, President's Day weekend. Huge thank you to everyone. Uh, this does not happen without a Patreon. It does not happen without a community like ours, our Slack channel and the patrons. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone. We're really excited about what we're going to be able to do there. And, and we're talking to the Quakes already about uh, interviews that we can get and everything so to be able to do that. It also was enough money to help us, you know, also think a little bit toward um, being able to cover some of the costs for the first game. And what that means is that there's another game somewhere that we will probably be able to cover, you know, down the road during the season as a result of that. And hopefully airfares come down and things even get a little bit more affordable. So if you enjoy our coverage, um, you know, uh, Apple is not yet paying us what we think we're worth. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we don't have a show on there yet. Uh, maybe at some point we will. But uh, for now, um, the Patreon is incredibly important. If you enjoy our coverage, you'd like to help us get to a, a couple more games this year than we did last year. Um, we're hoping for, you know, better results. Leaks Cup is an additional thing. I'm hoping to be down in uh, Portland to uh, cover the game there. Um, as well as potentially, you know, be, be at the stadium to be able to cover the first game. Um, and so, you know, that's a couple extra games right there. Playoffs, you know, more there. So big pitch early in the season. If you enjoy what we do, uh, consider checking out our Patreon. If you're a $2, maybe consider going to $5, get access to that Slack, all the game day, you know, goodness that we've got going on in the Slack. Um, and Alex and Colin pop in. Uh, as well from time to time with their thoughts. So it's a really good time of the year to uh, get new patrons. So with that, guys, I'm going to turn it back over to you now that we've talked about the Patreon and uh, given them the link and uh, give us your uh, final thoughts on the evening. And oh, by the way, make sure that you like, subscribe and notify. We're now about 725, which is a pretty good number. We need to get to that magic thousand so we can monetize the show as well as you get extra goodies when we get to a thousand. So if you're not subscribed, please do that. So, Colin, let me go to you first um, and give you uh, your final word for the night. I'll, I'll keep it quick. I, you know, I've been covering the team, I guess this would be my eighth season or maybe it's ninth. I always forget. Yeah, I think it's my ninth season covering the team. And I followed the team for you know, a decade before that. This in the second version of the Quakes, you know, the one we've had since 2007 is probably it's very close to being the most complete roster that I've seen, uh, the most balanced, the one that makes the most sense. Um, the coach is one that I have a lot of faith in. I have a lot of optimism there, but they are a little, uh, you know, they, they have quite a lot to prove. You know, this is 
a good feeling I have, but it's not something that I'm very, you know, the certainty level is low. So I'm very excited to see how that all pans out this season. Uh, I think that the coach is going to be a, a, a delight. Uh, I think that the roster, as I said, is is better managed than I've seen it in, in this entire Quakes 2.0 generation. Um, I will make a completely, you know, unpredictable prediction, uh, not based on inside information, but given what I've been alluding to in this body short in the front, I think a U22 signing uh, in those kind of forward slots, somebody who can play the number nine, maybe a South American guy, you know, a young kid uh, through that U22 program, something to keep your eye out for. Other than that, I think they signed Muni. Uh, and at that point, you know, this is a balanced roster uh, and there's no excuses for them not to at least look competent this year. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, Alex. Your final thoughts. I'm not willing to make any such bold predictions until I watch this team play uh, against a couple of strong sides uh, at the Coachella Valley Invitational. There's going to be a lot of MLS teams uh, at that tournament. Jamin, I think the Quakes are playing DC United, uh, Minnesota United. Who's the third one? Am I the New York Red, the Red Bulls? Bulls? Red Bulls. Those are, those are the three teams uh, that the Quakes are playing. To be able to play you know, three MLS teams. Uh, in a competitive environment like that is going to well, be two MLS teams uh, plus DC United. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be huge. Wow, I, I wasn't expecting that. The, was, that the, was for Michael Peach. United. That was for Michael Peach. Shade. Sorry, um, I had to, I had to do that. Wow, DC United catching some some strays here. Um, um, <laughs> I, I I'm excited for that tournament. I'm excited to, to be able to go there uh, with Jamin uh, to be able to hopefully deliver lots of interviews and live match coverage for you all. Uh, eternally grateful to all the patrons who contributed uh, to, to fund that trip. Uh, and hopefully there'll be many more of those to come. I'll also be back in the Bay Area for the home opener uh, in March. Uh, so uh, I'm excited. And, and, and once I see this team play at that Coachella Valley tournament, I, I think I'll be a lot more confident that, that they'll be able to, to be competitive and have a balanced roster this season. Somebody who I'm excited to watch play there, who we haven't even mentioned at all, not once in this show. And it's, it's, uh, it's it's kind of crazy that we haven't is Baldissimo, uh, because he was one of the players who's gotten minutes in the uh, the preseason games uh, against uh, you know New York and, and Toronto and uh, Monterey, and we have had people in the comments say they liked the way that he's been playing, uh, and so uh, he could be a guy who who could be you know a shout for uh, for one of those midfield starting spots if you're looking for a backup for for Nico uh, Shakiris when he goes to the uh, you know U20 World Cup U17. Uh, World Cup, uh, then he could be that guy. If Jackson Ewell isn't performing, he could be that guy. So, so he's another one of those additions that uh, I, I'm excited to watch play in Coachella, uh, and hopefully excited to connect with uh, some some more Quakes fans down there as well. All right, so fans giving a lot of plugs here for the Slack. Definitely, you want to be in there. Uh, I can tell you, particularly since the first game of the year this year is on the road at Atlanta United you know, away games in the in the chat is where it's at because away games don't tend to go well for the Quakes. Well, for most teams in MLS, actually, but particularly for the Quakes. And so you definitely, uh, you want to have your fellow fans to kind of commiserate with uh, before we jump on the Aftershock. And, and also, it, it actually gives us a lot of good feedback as to uh, what people... Um, uh, what people want. A live Aftershock meetup. I actually really like that idea. Um, I did uh, get a chance to meet a few fans before the game last year who were tailgating uh, before the opening game. Uh, would love to uh, organize something and be able to do that. You know and, how uh, could, could could happen. It's you possible. know how how Men in Blazers Guardian Football Weekly they have the live tapings uh, in the a big sold out theater. I think I think that's something we should be targeting, Jamie. Yeah, next next time I'm in the Bay, let's do it. All right. Yeah, we gotta get Colin out too. If we're gonna do a real show, we gotta make sure we've got uh, Alex Colin. Robert, uh, maybe we even need to get Asher out. We need to get some... Phil out. We haven't seen Phil in That's a while. another thing, That's too. True. We got to get Phil out. But Phil's a very busy man. Uh, he does a lot in the community. Right, but Phil has Phil busy. has the most theatrical experience. He has the most stage experience. It's true. He's true. We hand him the microphone, and we let him MC because I'll just ramble, as I do on the show. Okay, guys, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight, all of you, and particularly you, Alex, and Colin. Uh, for uh, your time tonight as well. Alex, we'll be seeing you at Coachella Valley. Probably won't have another show between now and then. So the next Aftershock fans will be something like noon on the Saturday of President's Day weekend. The date, what's the date of that thing? 
that is 17th, going to be 17th, right? 18th. 18th. In fact, it's just uh, less than two weeks away. See? Uh, so on the 18th, noon on the 18th, uh, Alex and I will be live doing a post-game aftershock before I got to like hightail it very fast to the airport. So mark that on your calendars because uh, we'd love to have all of you in for our, uh, to give you some the things that we see and uh, should be a fun time as well as we get ready for the season to start. Have a good night, everyone. We appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us and looking forward to getting everything rolling here very soon with uh, the regular season. And uh, subscribe to the patron if you haven't. Have a good night. Thanks all.